Hi again, everybody. This is Stuart Gandalf with Healthcare Success. Today, we have another Shizmed podcast, another panel of very smart people today. We're going to lead off with Alan Shoebridge, who regular listeners will recognize has been on this program before. Alan, uh, we were talking offline. I think this is probably his fourth podcast. So Alan is, is now Senior Director of National Marketing and Strategy for Kaiser Permanente. Many of you know, of course, of Kaiser. Uh, Tammy Graves is Principal Consultant at Point B. And Karina Jennings is Associate Vice President of Marketing Communications for Providence St. Joseph's Health. They'll tell you how they came together with this idea and how we got here. Session title that they'll be talking about at Shizmet is Building a Strategy to Survive and Thrive During Mergers and Acquisitions. And of course, this is an incredibly timely topic. I don't know, the last three, four, five years have been just mergers and acquisitions galore, and they seem to be even accelerating. Healthcare is changing. We talk about this a lot in our blog. Uh, we've talked about it in our podcast. Everything is changing. Uh, mergers, reutilization, consumerism, patient experience, things are changing really, really rapidly. It used to be healthcare was sort of a stodgy, slow industry, glacial really, and now it's moving very, very, very fast. I'm going to start off with Alan just because he's been on the program before, and then Alan, Tammy, Karina, just jump in wherever you guys want to. Alan, you guys all, I guess, work together back Forward Providence, talk about how topic came about, why you think it's important today, and give us kind of a context. The industry is going through a lot of change, and for people who are in the roles, marketing and communications roles, planners, others who, you know, are going to be attending the Shishmed conference, what we thought about is, you know, based on our past experience, how do we how do we give people more of a, a roadmap of maybe what to expect? Because I think in our experience, when the three of us were working at Providence, um, we spent a lot of time figuring out how to handle these kind of integrations, how to uh, centralize marketing communications in response. And really what struck me is I always want to say, where's the roadmap? You know, how are we going to do this? What do we know? And sure, you get some assistance from your partners within the organization, but they don't really know marketing communications. They don't know the issues that are going to come up specifically to that area. So we thought about, you know, how do we take kind of our shared experience and build that roadmap, give people kind of rules of the road. So that's what our session is focused on, is having people who come to this, you know, walk away because we know that they're, you know, most everyone in the industry today, like you said, is either already gone through this, um, is in the process of a merger and acquisition, or will be doing it in the future. And it really doesn't matter to some degree if you're kind of on the receiving end or you're maybe the organization that is acquiring someone else, taking a lead role. Um, what do you really need to be prepared for uh, to respond? And it was really important to us that we give people um, that kind of vision, that roadmap that helps them be successful, that helps them navigate through that change and come out on the other end um, with as little disruption as possible. It's a very difficult time and things are going to go wrong and it gets messy. But, you know, if we can equip people to understand the issues, feel like they have the best chance of success. And that's how we've kind of oriented our, our session that's coming up at the conference. Karina, you're still with Providence, correct? I am, Yes. For our listeners who are not familiar with Providence, give us a sense of the kinds of changes you guys went through, you know, in marketing and strategy as you went through that period of time where you're really making lots and lots of mergers and acquisitions, both sort of maybe strategically for the hospital and then with how you handled marketing functions with different teams and different hospitals. That's a lot of history and a lot of our life. <laughs> well, <laughs> over. <laughs> so, you feel tired uh, already? To, yeah. I'm like, oh gosh, flashbacks. Uh, but also trying to, you know, think about this in a in a you know shorter frame so that uh, that people can can experience a little bit without going into too much detail. Sure. Uh, I, I think for Alan, Tammy, and I, 
in our experiences together, uh, we felt like we were doing a lot more of it maybe than, than other people. I don't know how true that is. We certainly felt it um, in a very rapid and fast-paced context. We would literally um, start one, get almost through it, and start another. And uh, so we've probably done that. I would say, you know, we have two major integrations um, as an organization. Three, really, if we go back a little bit farther um, into the last decade. And then we have a number of smaller ones as well that were not quite as impactful as, as some of the major ones. So for us, some of the major ones were Swedish Health Services in Seattle, uh, St. Joseph Health um, out of um, Southern California and Northern California and Texas. And each time the organization expanded. And what we found is that marketing and communications is at the front end oftentimes of this work for a number of reasons. One, communications, big deal. So we're brought in very early on that process. And the communications team on both sides become actively engaged. The next thing that almost always comes up is brand. Everyone starts, dare I say, panicking a little bit. What are we going to be? Who are we going to be? What are we doing? Which logos do we use? So that becomes a big topic of discussion. And none of those things start to happen without the teams coming together, learning who they are, understanding who they are, and figuring out how they're going to work together and how are we going to organize the team uh, because your geography usually just, you know, grew. You're moving into a market you're not familiar with. Um, so, you know, all those sorts of things we've learned along the way. And frankly, we did it in rapid succession in addition to the fact that we were centralizing our marketing and communications team for the system. And so we kept tweaking or to some, some degree redesigning the whole marketing communications organization throughout all those experiences. So, you know, in general, we felt like we learned a lot of things about how people work, about how to work with teams who frankly don't know each other. And there's um, always fear and anxiety that come with that. And then also, how do you go through a process of becoming a new team with a, a shared purpose, a shared vision, um, which is very, very important and very um, critical to keeping the work going on both sides because, again, there's still regular operations going on. So altogether, it's been uh, a wild ride. It continues for us at Providence, and so looking forward to share that experience with others. Tammy, talk about some of the highlights that you guys will be talking about at Chisman. Karina, Alan, and I are really focusing on, on three different areas that we're hoping to um, help share our experiences and then some real discussion points for everybody to consider and, and hopefully to come out of the room with some ideas on how to put that into action. And so Alan's really going to take us through um, how you determine the right overall approach to your organization's branding. Um, we all know that brands are most one of the one of the most valuable assets for any other or any organization. But in our experience, when we've approached branding in healthcare organizations, um, maybe they haven't always been treated as one of those most valuable assets. Um, in the way that we approach branding. So Alan's going to go through some of his experience and how really to turn around the framework on that. Um, Karina's going to really talk about the people part of the uh, equation, how to actually do that assessment of the core functional skills. And as she articulated, how do you get a team aligned and in new roles if that's part of the equation um, and, and pointed towards a central vision um, and moving forward so that integration, the people integration part of the, the M&A. And the focus that I'm, I'm really 
um, bringing forward is based off of my experience at Providence and working with other clients is um, while all this work is going on, how do you actually accelerate and drive strategy um, in this newly created organization? Um, a lot of times it feels like strategic planning and subsequent execution get put on hold. And I don't think in this environment um, we can really wait around a year or two while integration efforts are going on. Certainly your competitors won't um, in the midst of all this other activity that's going on. So we're really excited to um, share and hear from um, session attendees as, as we move through these three topics. Well, that's really well laid out for us. We'll ask each of you then and kind about your topic. So, Alan, uh, branding is a terrific topic for this kind of thing. It's funny. I, I don't know if uh, you've heard some of the podcasts of my friend Rob Klein, who's a researcher. We talked a lot about the challenges of branding with the hospital system. And one of the things that Rob has noted in his career is how difficult it is to change the name of a hospital, for example. You know, people can will refer to the hospital in many communities as really well known. The reputation lingers for a long, long time. People are stubborn and want to keep the old name. It's really can be difficult. And so, and I'm sure each of these systems had their own unique pluses and minuses. How did you decide if you were going to change the name, if you're going to modify the existing name, and maybe share some anecdotes of some of the changes you guys went through and how it went over? It's a big issue. And, you know, I think what generally happens is, like you said, neither side uh, in a merger and acquisition, you've got two brands coming together and neither side wants to uh, give any ground. And rarely did we ever hear, I don't think I've ever heard in my career, uh, one side come and say, hey, you know, our brand's really weak. Nobody likes us. We're willing to give up our name. It's always the opposite. It's always like, hey, we can't give an inch on this because, you know, the community knows us or we have great brand equity or whatever. And I think a lot of times those are anecdotal. So there might not be kind of data and evidence to back it up. So we're going to talk a little bit during the session about really what the decision-making process should be, some of the common pitfalls to avoid, because again, often where you end up with is a compromise, it really ends up diluting uh, the opportunity to push the brand, uh, what should be maybe a master brand to the next level. And and one of the case studies I'm looking at uh, and sharing is really Kaiser Permanente as they went in and acquired Group Health up in Washington. And I was looking at this from an outside perspective. I was at Providence at the time and I thought, wow, you know, they're just going all in. There's no compromise on this. Um, Kaiser Permanente is the brand now, and you won't see any trace of group health. And I, I bet that was, you know, a very difficult decision. But what you got out of it is there was no confusion in the public about what Kaiser was doing in the market. They're coming in, they're establishing themselves. This is a very strong brand discipline. And I think this is what you would see um, in most other industries where, you know, the dominant partner coming in is going to establish their brand because they have a higher purpose for what they want their brand to accomplish. In healthcare too often, again, you try to end up with compromise. You get a name that has, you know, three different things stuck onto it. And really you end up looking like, well, no brand is kind of winning here at this point. And we've made a compromise that just doesn't position ourselves uh, for the future. So I really uh, intend to kind of share that study, go a little deeper, and, and just help people that, you know, here are the sort of questions to ask, here's the data you might need, and here's how to approach this. Because, again, you don't want to get into this situation where you just have two sides um, arguing with anecdotal evidence about the way to go. Uh, you want to put some framework and some thinking into it. And I also agree, I think, with what Karina said earlier about marketing sort of being on the front end of these things is that oftentimes 
you know, the brand will be one of the first things discussed, but maybe marketing is not even in the room. So making sure that you know that this is going to come up and when you get pulled into the conversations early, already being able to offer a perspective on how the organization should approach thinking about the brand. So how did research help you on some of the acquisitions you guys went through and what was the ultimate result? In some instances, research just wasn't brought in when it should be. So you also have a situation where potentially one side of the house has done really good brand research and knows exactly what their brand position is. But in a case of maybe bringing in, and I think this is an example that you know, maybe uh, many attendees at Shushmed would be used to having to deal with. They say you're acquiring a, a physician practice. Well, they haven't done any sort of brand research or a small hospital. They probably don't do any brand research. They really have no idea what their brand position is. So in that case, I would recommend, you know, when again, when talks start happening with that kind of acquisition target, really thinking about maybe the health system that's going to do the acquisition should invest in that research up front and really look into this partner and, and figure out what is their position in the community so that when things get more serious and those doctors or those hospital administrators or the board or whatever comes says, we can't possibly give up our naming identity, you have some uh, data to back it up. So part of it, I think, really is just making sure that people kind of go through a best practice um, of getting themselves ready to have the conversation and evaluate the situation. Well, one of the challenges in Catholic healthcare is what I would call, you know, history and tradition, and as well, strong connections to um, particularly women religious or foundresses. And um, what we've really struggled with is not so much what the right business decision would be, but what's the right decision to make when you have so many people connected to history, tradition, and legacy. And so we've really, you know, we've really struggled with identity. We are Catholic organizations, or we have strong histories, or we've been around for 100 years. And, you know, the founder or the foundress is considered a focal point for people committing to the mission and to the organization, an added complication on the brand conversation, particularly for us at Providence. There's so much emotion over this issue, and I even think, you know, as I've watched even really small transactions, again, you know, it could be a physician practice, and, you know, they, they build, the owners built it up from the ground, they're really invested in the name, and they love it, and they don't want to walk away from it, but the right thing to do from the business perspective or where you want to take your brand might be very different. So it's just, I think you're right, there's history, there's emotions, and uh, that often gets in the way of really making what's the best business decision or also what's best, again, for, you know, easing the way for the consumers, the patients, that they understand who the system is. I think those considerations often, again, get eclipsed by the history, the emotion, and, and the passion people have around this issue. So on each individual acquisition, did you end up falling through like Kaiser and bring the name of Providence into everything and change everything? Or did you leave some of the systems alone in terms of the brand? Well, so I think that a little bit of all of that in some cases, especially where we had secular and religious organizations coming together, a lot of times we just left the brand on its own. So there was some work maybe done to think about visually how things are connected or, you know, at a... At depending on, you know, the audience, was there a way to connect things better? But, you know, for instance, at Providence, we had, uh, Karina mentioned Swedish, and we had Catholic, which is a regional health system, and they kept their identities because, you know, they were secular, they were joining a larger organization, so it almost became more of like a house of brands that was being managed. In other situations, and I think, you know, throughout the years, there were really uh, examples of just combining the names. Um, you know, look at Providence St. Joseph Health, that was the bringing together of two systems, two big systems, the names got combined. Um, there was a lot of consideration about you know, do we come up with a whole new name? How do we do that? Uh, but again, a lot of history, a lot of emotion. And then, you know, looking at Kaiser's example, 
um, the strong brand discipline of just saying, in this acquisition, the brand has to be Kaiser because we have a national approach for what we want to establish with our brand. We don't do the kind of uh, combination or powered by thing. We're, we're all about establishing the Kaiser brand. That's, that drove that decision. So I, I think in these examples, you see all of those approaches that you mentioned happening. Um, but the takeaway for people attending the session is really to understand sort of the progression of things that are going to happen when you have kind of a merger acquisition um, brewing up and getting ready to just prepare yourself to be like, okay, here's how this conversation around brand might go. Here's the questions we want to ask and just not getting caught kind of off guard. And I also say too, you know, inserting yourself early in the process. And that makes a lot of sense. And it's funny when we t- I talk about this issue or speak to it, it's exactly that. Sometimes, you know, one wins, sometimes you kind of compromise. Building a new brand is the hardest, but sometimes people do that. And I've seen, you know, successful stories along all those lines and the, it really comes down to hopefully trying to do what's right as opposed to what's you know, expedient in the short term. But it's definitely not a minor thing. Karina, I'm really curious about the internal marketing in terms of employees, donors, doctors. There's a lot of stakeholders with hospitals, a lot of communities with hospitals, the biggest employer, or one of the most visible organizations. Uh, all these stakeholders have to come together. How do you manage all of that? So this is really where the two teams typically start working together. Uh, and I mean the marketing and communication teams. In terms of the presentation, we're going a little bit more specific right into the marketing and communication teams themselves. Oftentimes, the success of, of the communication to which you're speaking, the internal and the external components, is really anchored in how well do the communication team members start to work together? How well do they trust each other? And how do they get to a place where they start working well um, and working with efficiency? We've seen quite a bit of Usually we start with a place of anxiety and a little bit of, um, of looking at each other going, we don't know what's going to happen next. So the work really does become the focus very initially. To your point, there is a lot of communications work that goes into the announcements. And so you will find usually small teams, normally leaders, working very closely together. And they start to get to know each other and they start to uh, build bonds, which is terrific. Then at some point, the organization makes a decision that the marketing and communication teams are going to come together. Or that's usually part of a grander organizational strategy on um, how the two organizations are going to bring together any of their consolidated or shared services. And so for us, um, because we had consolidated already into shared services, Um, Many of the marketing and communications um, team members from other organizations were then brought into ours. And so there's a period of discovery that has to occur. And one of the things we've learned is this is an area where it's really helpful to go slow, to go fast. And just, you know, making organizational structure decisions and saying, we're just going to have you report to to hear and we're going to start working together and not spending the time understanding the, the, the competencies, the market, the organization, how do they historically do work, uh, can cause um, a lot of um, disruption overall as you're trying to, as Tammy will speak to, keep the regular, um, regular work going. So, you know, we, and it's really not me. I actually would say Tammy. Tammy was our sensei, frankly, through for much of these these experiences, and she really um, helped develop what I think is a fairly methodical process and a um, a stages of work 
that allows us to bring people together, understand each other, listen and hear each other. Um, there's almost always one partner or one organization that um, seems to be more dominant or is the acquirer. And in that context, it creates distrust and anxiety for uh, for the other organizations. So we have worked really hard to eliminate that emotion from the conversation and really talk about how do you build a new team together with a new focus as part of the, a bigger organization and how do you introduce introduce those team members to the new organization and there's a lot of things that happen to them it's it's actually a very very difficult uh difficult time and not just for marketing and communications as you might imagine but for for all um employees um, in both organizations so uh, we're just going to walk through that kind of templated model that was built gosh i would say over four at least four major integrations that we did. Some were larger numbers of people, you know, two dozen or more. Some were small, and they were more like five or six people. But in each of those, uh, we learned how to uh, work through a process that has them working together that allows us to, to move into an integration with purpose and intention and ensure that no work gets left or undone uh, and that hopefully marketing and communications on the other side um, maintains um, good credibility and the influence needed to do the important work going forward um, because it's pretty damaging if the marketing and communications team loses any of that um, by the end of the process. You know, when you're talking about the stress, it's 100% predictable. Um, anytime two teams come together, particularly if one's being acquired, because the, the first question is, what's that mean for my job, right? And so, that's a, a stressful thing. And then the other thing that you brought up, which was an elephant in the room for me, but, you know, there's going to be varying levels of not just background and history and uh, areas of expertise, but competence. Um, some people, you know, if you put a room of 100 people together, some are going to be more competent than others. It's just a fact. That must be difficult. And so, actually, Tammy, you know, you were talking about the road ahead. I'd like to talk about that maybe a little bit, but especially your experience of, well, do we consolidate everything to the mothership or how much do we have at the mothership and how much do we leave on the marketing function on the ground? I'm going to broaden the conversation just a little bit, and I'm really, I'm going to really talk to not just our marketing and communication leaders, but also to those that are coming to Shishmet that are in strategic planning, the strategists, business development, because... You know, it's day one of your mergers and acquisition integration work. And what do you do with this beautiful strategic plan that your organization has put together and you've been driving to or your departmental plan? And in my experience, um, what I've seen is um, it gets shelved a lot. Um, and there's a lot of, well, we need to wait on dot, 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 um, some decision to be made, um, that leader to be available because they're engulfed in a really important M&A integration effort. But um, I think that through M&A, um, there really um, presents an opportunity for each of the organizations. So, you know, there's a well-known business statistic out there that, you know, 60 to 90 percent of strategies never get executed in organizations. And that's during good times. What happens during M&A? Um, certainly those numbers have to rise. And so what I really want to dive into is a couple of uh, ways to shift your mindset and different approaches on how you can actually use the integration period to drive strategic work and hopefully drive some of the value out of your early M&A efforts. 
Um, a lot of M&A's values propositions are based off of consolidation. So a lot of what uh, Karina's talking through is, you know, uh, consolidation of shared services, efforts, and in some cases, um, redundancies and staffing as well, and technology, of course. But one of the big opportunities and the levers that we tend not to pull until later on a lot of times in healthcare integrations is how are we driving value? Where is that growth strategy that we can start to engage in early on in the efforts? And so um, either by applying, I'm going to dive a little bit into applying an agile mindset um, to your strategic planning efforts, and then how to facilitate the right kind of decision-making and governance structure to um, move forward on some strategic goals and visions early on. Um, not all of your staff is going to be tied up in M&A integration activities. And so uh, focusing their energy somewhere else so that they don't have that anxiety that is natural during this type of time period um, around, you know, will I have a job? I think you brought up a, a great point there. Um, and actually focusing them on the future faster um, is what we're going to explore a little bit. What are the pros and cons of consolidating marketing functions? And like, obviously, we have other issues too. So, like uh, strategy and business development and all these things. But since we're talking about marketing today, consolidating marketing functions at you know a corporate or a home location versus because this is a, a topic I talk about all the time with various people in the industry versus having people on the ground uh, locally. What what typically have you guys have you found the best practices model or is it this very situation by situation? Tammy could correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say that we uh, came up with a philosophy that we were comfortable and actually needed uh, people in the field, working at the local level, working with the hospitals. Uh, because of that, through much of the consolidation we've done and the M&A, I would say that we didn't try to move lots of people from one location to another or what we have struggled more uh, with is how do you right size each of those locations? I would still say that we continue to work through that. And the issues of competencies is important too because in each of our markets, I would say we have different mixes of competencies. So the, I would say there were um, three key things we did. So one was identify and acknowledge the expertise, the competencies that we should share as a system. And those would be housed centrally. We actually didn't require them to to reside in Renton or Irvine, which are two um, headquartered locations. So, but we did acknowledge that there were specialties or there were there was expertise that we couldn't afford at every location. So I think we have a general, we have a pretty good idea of what those are. And then um, we agreed that um, all of our hospitals needed people, and uh, all of our regions and service areas have people. Um, again, we have. Uh, folks located uh, throughout our system in all seven states. What we don't have, again, is kind of a right-size model where we say, we know a hospital this size requires this many people of these competencies, and I would continue to work on that. And then the third piece was um, working hard at understanding which team you're on and not getting too wrapped around the axles of, you know, I'm with the system team but located in Montana, so um, I don't talk to the Montana team. So we worked hard at I'm creating a home team concept, which is you're on both teams. Uh, you have a system right. team that you work with um, because you're in this function. At the same time, as a, te a team of multiple functions who report to different people, you still have an environment and a culture and a family 
that you should be a part of. So those are kind of the three key things that we've worked on uh, to try and um, work through this idea of consolidated team at the same time uh, being local. I'd like each of you, if you can, and if I'm putting you on the spot, I know, but if it's, uh, you feel like you've already covered, it's fine. But uh, any single takeaway that you would like our listeners to walk away from as they contemplate, you know, on either side of this equation, you know, a tip for success or any nugget of wisdom that you've acquired from past and just sort of a, if you do anything, make sure you think about this. <laughs> Whoever wants to start, go ahead. I can, I can offer one. I can offer one and it's, it's pretty broad, but we've all touched on it to some degree. I think the main thing is that you need to insert yourself into the conversation as soon as possible. So, Oftentimes, like marketing communications, again, um, if we don't know about something, we come in, it's too late, decisions have been made. So really building up the right relationships to make sure that whenever there's merger and acquisition activity going, that you can get involved to prep as early as possible because we know conversations are going to come up about structure and brand and all the other issues we talked about today and just making sure you're on the front end of the conversation. And then I think to, you know, basically using some of the lessons that we'll talk about and help people, those best practices, knowing what those are. So studying up on the issues and getting involved early. For me, um, those are very broad and maybe they seem pretty simplistic, but I think they're overlooked a lot and they're just incredibly important. I'm going to be unfair and do two. Um, so the first one is to really be people focused. Don't underestimate the emotion, the anxiety, and how being human can disrupt everything. <laughs> so um, <laughs> we just have to pay attention and, and not not ignore, ignore that or pretend like it doesn't happen. And then the second piece I would say that's super important is uh, don't make assumptions. Um, a lot of people make assumptions that their structure is perfect or that what they do right now is right or that what someone else is doing is wrong. <laughs> so um, really open the mind and um, be, be willing to learn and understand so that you can make the right decisions for the future. I'll offer uh, two different ones. I think Alan started this conversation talking about uh, a lot of our what we're sharing is a roadmap for for some of these uh, issues related to M&A. I would say that, um, yes, there's lots of, uh, we're going to offer one roadmap. There's other roadmaps out there, certainly. But resist looking for a recipe. Um, and what I mean by that is, again, to Karina's point, there is no perfect org structure. There is no perfect um, recipe. And make sure that you listen first and, and take your discovery into consideration when you're driving towards that future state. And the second one is M&A can be a fabulous opportunity um, for, for your people, for your organization, and for you to um, reset in many ways the strategic direction of your organization. And so making sure that you're not looking at it as simply something to do, but looking at it um, holistically as the opportunity that it is. For our listeners and subscribers on the blog post, we'll have a link to the Shizmed recordings. And uh, sounds like a fantastic session. All of you guys, Tammy, Karina, and Alan, great to talk to you guys. I really appreciate your time. And thank you so much. <laughs>